Uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this morning. It is July 31st, 2011. Uh, our message this morning is called Going Out of Business. Uh, I left you some room in the bulletin to take notes. I hope that you will take some notes during this message. Uh, going out of business, you could put under it martyrdom. That will be a uh, little subtitle for you that might help you know where we're going. But tell me something. Have y'all ever driven around town and seen... Oh, I don't know, a furniture store with a big going out of business sign? Oh, yes. In the town that I come from, there was a man that was going out of business every weekend. And it was an amazing thing because he did so well on his going out of business sale on, on Saturday that he was back in business on Monday. But going out of business again uh, the very next Saturday and back in business again the next Monday. And it became kind of a gimmick, right? You You... When they say, everything must go, 100% clearance, the prices are low, 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 we're liquidating now. My years in the car business are coming through now, too. Blah, 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 MSRP. You know? um, this gets to be a sales gimmick. But the, the reality is that the gospel is very much like a going out of business sale in some regards. And I want to show you why. That may seem kind of uh, cheeky to say it that way. But I hope you'll remember it for this reason. Go to Matthew 13. We're going to be in verse 44. And you'll tell me when you're there. I could use some help this morning. So I want to tell all you white people that it's okay to agree out loud in church. It's okay to speak. Uh, all of our friends who are in India de Calor, y'all go ahead and help these people out. Y'all there? Okay, Matthew 13, picking up in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he did it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Say, in his joy. Come on, saints. When the Lord of the universe gives us a chance to give away that which is temporary, to gain that which can never fade, this is a cause for joy. But all too often, if Christians have to give up something, anything, it could be your Starbucks that morning, whatever it is, we see this as, oh, what a great sacrifice. No, the kingdom of heaven is when we give up or sell or get rid of or burn everything in great joy because you have judged it not worth comparing with the kingdom that is coming upon us. Look, as if it wasn't enough that he said it the first time, what is this 45th verse? Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. From Jesus' own mouth in two consecutive parables, we find out that the kingdom has to do with getting rid of everything so that you can receive something else. Now, have you ever had your plate full? You went through the buffet line, and I mean, you saw some things that maybe Steve fixed, and oh man, that's good, that's good. And you saw some things that maybe Jennifer fixed, and went, oh, that's good. But then what Eric fixed was at the end of the line. And you thought, oh man, there's no room left on You've never had this experience. <laughs> I have no room left on my plate. Sometimes in the kingdom, to receive what the Lord really has for us, we have to push out the old and make room for the new. Yeah. Now you hear the prosperity people teach this in, in, just in my opinion, ridiculous ways. 
What I'd like to talk to you about is the kind of prosperity I think that Charlie preached about Wednesday. When our king is establishing something in you, you need to know something must go first. You must literally go out of business. Do you remember how John the Baptist said it? I must decrease and he must increase. Look at Matthew 16. We're going to take a ride in our Bibles. You'll go two chapters to the right. In Matthew 16, tell me when you're at the 21st verse. There. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Did you hear these must in there? There is a necessity in suffering. There is a certainty of martyrdom. In Jesus' life, it was never a question, will I have to give up comfort? In fact, the incarnation meant that He had to lay aside deity to become a human being. It was never a question in His life, will I lay aside my will for God's will? He only lived to do the Father's will. It was never a question whether or not He would be martyred. I think that we have the only faith in the world where the goal of the faith was for a righteous man to suffer a horrible, humiliating death on your behalf and then you spend your life imitating his attitude. I've not seen that in any of the religions in the world and I've traveled a good bit. What an amazing thing. This is not what we teach normally. We actually teach, if you come to this altar, I will give you a ticket to Disney World. I mean heaven. And who wouldn't want to go to heaven, right? We will beg people to do this. I can demonstrate to you over and over in the Scripture where the call of God was of such worth that Jesus actually invited people to leave. Because if they did leave, they were not like that merchant who sold everything he had to obtain the treasure, to obtain the fine pearl. When you have a revelation of the kingdom... Everything else begins to pale in comparison. Yeah, look, how about that? How about that? Well, we got 80 people in this room. We got a single amen for that. Now, this is not picking on anybody. I, I know you're all eager to love the Lord. I am too. This is not a big amen subject. You know why? Salvation's free, but it costs you everything. It is the complete and total abandonment of your dreams of your desires, of reliance on your abilities. It's actually giving up the choice to decide whether you are right or wrong, whether something is good or evil, and ceding 100% of that authority back to our Father. Matthew calls it putting the fruit back on the tree. When I say Matthew, I mean our other pastor Matthew, not the gospel of Matthew. We're not preaching apocryphal Matthews anymore. Listen, when this is done, it's shocking. Can you imagine, we read these stories, but can you imagine Jay and I are chatting? And I say, hey Jay, man, how are you? Jay says, I'm, I'm kicking it, it's cool. And I uh, said, well, look, next week, in the Sugarland City Square, they're going to strip me naked in front of everybody there. I might wish for death faster than it comes. I don't know whether my courage will hold out, but they're going to tear the skin off of my body. Then slowly, in front of my closest friends and family, they're going to nail me 
courthouse. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know when it will be over. Would that be difficult? I mean, do you think Jay would say, sure, let's go get a milkshake? <laughs> Probably not. Look at how Peter reacted to this. I mean, we read these and we forget these are people. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. I mean, Jay might look at me and say, dude, let's go to Mexico. You like to go there anyway. Run. Do whatever it takes. Let's get out of here. That should never happen to you. This is kind of Peter's reaction because Peter was loyal and loved Jesus. Never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. We're going to finish this, but I have to pause here for a moment. 2,000 years of viewing Jesus as deity, and He is. And if you know me, you know I love Jesus as Lord amen. and God. Amen. He, is, amen. he is the ultimate. Amen, Mary. He's the ultimate. But I would like to submit to you for a moment that when these Jewish guys are standing in Israel talking... They had not had 2,000 years of concentrating on Jesus' deity. What did they see standing, sitting or standing in front of them? Their friend. Their friend. A human being who got tired. Who got hungry. Who grew in wisdom and stature according to the Gospel of Luke. Who at times got angry. Made a whip. At other times leaped with joy. At other times shed real tears. If your vision of Jesus is some kind of painting in a Catholic church, I'm sorry. He was not off-world. He was not so spiritual that He didn't feel... I heard one teacher one time say Jesus could not have had a blister because then He wouldn't have been perfect. Alright, I hope you can't hear my thoughts. Friends, it's just like us. I want you to hear what he said to Peter. We always focus on this. We may be focusing on the wrong thing. He says, get behind me. What? What's that next word? Satan. You are a... To who? That seems to indicate that this very thought, that he would not complete this, that he would not do it, was hard for Jesus. We don't think about that, right? We think of Jesus as so resolute. We think of Jesus as so perfect. We are reading the end of the story already. We know how it finished. But at this point, all we had was a man trying to be obedient to God's will who had never not been obedient. But this did not take the struggle out of him. He didn't want to hear that from his closest friend. Have you ever? Ever had to do something hard? I hope you haven't had to ever shoot your dog. Right? Anybody see old yeller in here? I've had that, that issue. Maybe I should pick something less emotional. <laughs> Let's just say you don't want to go to work today. What you want to do is stay home and play with your family. You want to hang out with them. They miss you. So the little girl goes to the edge of the driveway. Actually, Judy used to do this to me. She says, please don't go to work today. Stay home with me today. Could that be a stumbling block for you? Because somebody you love is telling you something that some part of you would like to do. Is it wrong? Is it sin? No, not at all. It would be sin if you did it because God has called you to do something else. It wouldn't be sin to have the thought cross your mind. This is a stumbling block to Jesus. 
And he says he recognizes it as the work of Satan who would like to prevent him. I'd like you to think about this for a minute. Let's not obscure Jesus' real struggle in 2,000 years of theology. Do you think that it was hard for him to stay up all night and pray? How about if he had to walk 120 miles? Was that hard? Yeah. Was it hard for him when his family walked down on him? I think he cried when Lazarus died because it hurt his feelings. Even though he knew he was going to fix it. I think he was just as connected with suffering as you and I are. You ever had somebody read about Stephen in the church? The first martyr, right? Stephen. This is a glorious thought, isn't it? I mean, what better way to excel in Christianity than to grow out like Stephen? Amen. Amen. I do the same way. But when we think about these things, particularly if you're 20, 25, 30 years old, you tend to think about the last moments. Maybe the excruciating part is to know that two-thirds of the world, Christianity lives in persecution and suffering right now. And the end doesn't always come quickly. But if it's a month, what if it started with your toes and ended with your head? And it took months to do it. See, we have this conception that we know what it is to be crucified daily. But the reality is we don't face any real persecution. And when we do, we raise up for ourselves teachers that will teach what our tickling ears want to hear. I want you to hear what Jesus says next. What an amazing thing. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone... Come on now, say that out loud. Anyone. anyone. Who does that leave out? Nobody. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Amen. Jesus had not died yet. He had not been crucified yet. But he was resolute in his conviction that he would give his life for the gospel. Do you realize that in the first three centuries that Christianity existed, there were no Christians anywhere that were not born again with the expectation that they would be killed for their faith? If you knew... I feel a little bit like I'm quoting Princess Bride here. Anybody seen that movie? Uh, Good afternoon, pirate uh, Roberts. Most likely in the morning I'll kill you. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Yeah. Every moment, every day, he thought that his master was going to kill him. How would you live if you thought this was your last week every week? Would it change things for you? Because you need to know that for the first 300 years of our faith's existence, this was the situation. If you were a leader, you were targeted. How do you think that Al-Qaeda is living in Afghanistan right now? Do you think that they wince a little bit every time a cloud moves and they're not sure whether something metallic was in the sky? I hope so. I bet they're not sitting around playing first-person shooter games. Might be a little too close to home. Guys, in the first three centuries, the governments of the world nearly united under the power of the Caesars to hunt and kill what if we lived in that scenario? Do you realize every one of the seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation lived in that scenario? Do you realize that every apostle that we read their writings lived in that scenario? 
how would it change your Christian life? The best we can do to create this kind of urgency in this thought today is say, at any minute, you could be raptured, so come down to the altar. I feel like they're selling snake oil. When you got born again, you were supposed to have the expectation Amen. of daily crucifixion. Amen. Not some eschatological thing in the future. Daily. And why? Why? Because this is exactly who you were following. And where is he headed? To the cross. And anything else would be a stumbling block. Get behind me. So I want to ask you, what direction are you headed? Are you headed to blessing? Do you know what blessing is? I think the church has been confused into thinking that blessing is receiving when our king said it is more blessed to give than receive. And how did he demonstrate his love for his friends? He laid down his life. But we have a culture marked by decadence, self-indulgence. We have a culture that's marked by selfishness. And friends, it's left its mark on us and we don't know. It's left its mark on us and we don't know. We don't realize that when we will not get out of bed an hour early to go help somebody, when we sleep in because we broke an eyelash. When we couldn't go to that function because we just had nothing to wear. We're not being crucified, baby. I want to ask you to think about when's the last time something was excruciatingly difficult for you to do and you did it anyway for Jesus. These are the moments of glory. Amen. Even if they're wrapped in visible shame. See, this is one of those difficult things. None of us, we've accepted a movie star image of a Christian. They don't get shot. They don't get butchered. They don't get hurt. All they ever are is blessed. And we forget that the people that we're following were often naked. They're often without food. We're often in danger of false brothers, bandits, robbers, shipwrecks, snakes, you name it. What was it that we were called to follow? Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Are we in the process of losing our lives? Or are you in the process of building the best one you can right now? Pouring it out? It's a funny thing. Bill has some zeal about this message. One of the reasons Bill has some zeal about this message is there are things in his life that make him face his own mortality. You know, most people don't think about that until they get to certain ages. Amen. You know, when you were supposed to consider it before you got born again. Amen. Because your life no longer belonged to you. You died in Him that you might live in His will. You know, we baptize in a feeding trough. But it might as well be a coffin. Because it's a watery grave. It's an amazing thing, though, when people are faced with death, how we act. Squirming, shrinking, doing anything we can to fight to avoid the difficult. We come from a heritage of believers that actually had to be discouraged from giving their life in martyrdom. Because somebody had to stay to teach. This is the words with which Paul would say something like, to die is game, but I think it might be better for you that I stay. He was more concerned about their, their loss, if he went, than what it meant for him to go. But you notice he had no attachment to this world system. None. How are we doing with that, saints? Is this a convicting word? Yes. But whoever loses his life for me 
will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with the angels, and then He will reward each person according to what He believes. This Bible never rewards you for what you believe. Never. Ne can y'all say that with me? Never. never. The Bible rewards you for a belief that produces an action, and these are called deeds. Deeds. The man that shows by his actions that his life is worth nothing to him, that he might gain the life that God has for him, that man is no fool. Anybody in here seen the end of this fear? One of the characters in that the book was called Through the Gates of Glory was a missionary in the 50s. Through the Gates of Splendor, I'm sorry. He's a missionary in the 50s. He wrote in his journal the week before he went to the mission field to give his life. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. This is the tradition of the faith. I don't have a death wish, friends. I have a life wish. And life is found through giving it away. Anybody in here ever had to move? So you might feel the next day like you're dead. So the next time somebody needs help moving, do you find something else to do? See, these are the opportunities that we have to deny ourselves. When that one person comes up to talk to you and you hadn't had a good conversation with them in 30 years, this is an opportunity to deny yourself. When what you would like to do is lash back, this is an opportunity to deny yourself. And I, I want to submit to you that this is not like Braveheart, where you're going to yell, it's freedom, and then die in a moment and the whole nation declare you a hero. The reality is, the cross has scorn and shame. It means that you might be spit on. It means that you might be struck in the face. It might mean that nobody understands and they all think you are demon-possessed or drunk. But you do it for joy because you understand that on the other side of that shame there is incomparable glory. And you know what? You might not want to share it with people who did not walk you ever built something that was difficult to build? Done something that was difficult to do and meet somebody else that did? Isn't there an instant camaraderie? I used to hear guys from the chemical plants that worked on a cat cracker or worked on a turnaround together. They accomplished something and there was a sense of unity because they accomplished something together. The church has no unity because it has no accomplishments. There's been no glory because there's been no suffering. We have played in the playground of the world and found fulfillment in all the things that they did. And our fulfillment should come at the end of the day when it took a crucifixion of our will to accomplish His. And we did. These are the things that we can be proud of, friends. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man in His kingdom. Now this could be the transfiguration which happens next. It could be so many things and people argue about this. I would like to submit to you that you see the kingdom anytime one man crucifies his desires, his goal, his will, and lifts yours 
Jesus is above his own. I would say that is what the kingdom is. So maybe instead of coming to an altar and praying, Lord Jesus, I'd like to take you into my heart so that I can go to heaven and fly away from all troubles or whatever ridiculous thing that they're selling these days. Maybe it could be, Lord, I'd like to die right now. Everything that I ever wanted, that I might be resurrected to whatever you want for me, even if it means my flesh is pulling apart. Amen. Now that might be a more authentic salvation prayer, but that's not printed in your Bibles or printed in tracts or printed in Christian help books, is it? If you want the authentic Christianity, we need to know something. It only comes through a very narrow way. And it is so narrow that it will squeeze all of you out and leave nothing left but Him. I'd like you to turn with me to Mark 10. I, I thought you'd be proud of me. This is uh, all coming from the New Testament. That's very new for me, right? Uh, you don't know how hard I, I had to work not to preach this out of Deuteronomy. <laughs> In Mark 10, I hope the quietness is because you're serious. <laughs> in Mark 10, pick up with me in the 17th verse. This uh, may be a different way than you have looked at this in the past. As Jesus started on His way, by the way, uh, wherever He was going that day, where was He ultimately go going? To the cross. See, every day he might have set out for a certain city, he might have set out for something else, but where do we know he was ultimately going? The cross. So when we follow the way, the truth, and the life, when we walk in the way, where is that way headed? The cross. If you are following him, you are headed to the cross. And if you are not headed to the cross, you are not following him. You guys are brilliant. Watch this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him. And fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is every evangelist's dream. This is what every missionary who has ever set out on a ship, crossed an ocean, and found an indigenous people wanted to see. What must I do? Eager, enthusiasm. How can I be saved? He didn't walk to Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He didn't have skeptical questions for Jesus. He had flattering words for Jesus. He didn't want to be blessed and say, can I have more money? He wanted to be saved in every way. This is good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Come on. Amen. Oh, watch. Why do you call me good? What an invitation Jesus just gave. Right? Somebody ran to Him because they were right. They wanted to be saved. They ran to Him and said, I acknowledge you're good. They ran to him and said, what must I do? Not just believe. Do. To inherit eternal life. I would say that this guy is three quarters of the way further than the average Christian you know and he's not a Christian. And the first thing that Jesus does is assault the premise with which he approached him. Why do you call me good? What's that next line? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Hallelujah. Now, I don't Amen. want to play word trickery here, but watch this. Why are you calling me good? Only God's good. What are you really trying to say about it? See, we will call Jesus Lord. We'll call Him God. We'll have all the beautiful theological statements in the world, but Jesus is about to put 
the truth of his statement to the test. If I am good, if I am God, will you do what I tell you to do even if it hurts? Or will you be content simply to believe that I'm good, to run to my feet, and to ask for salvation? Wow. Could anything be more apropos to the average American situation? Could anything be more appropriate for our lives? Not some church somewhere else. Us. Running to the feet of Jesus. Calling Him good. Saying we want to be saved. But will we do what He tells us to do? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have signed that doctrinal statement. I went through the encounter weekend. Teacher, I went through the orientation, the new believers class. We're good. Got it down. Copy of it in my Bible. I printed it off of your website and I carry it with me. He had no theological issues with Jesus. He liked Jesus. He ran to Jesus. He showed enthusiasm for Jesus. He asked Jesus the right question. But how does he respond when Jesus tells him to do something? Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him. This is left out of the story so many times. He loved Amen. him. To us, love is some kind of warm emotional feeling. Feel, I just <laughs> to a Jew, this is not love. Love is an action verb. A hundred percent of the time in all of its forms. He was about to do something that was loving. So the scripture says he loved him. You know what is loving? When our God declares his will for your life. Amen. That's what's love. Doesn't matter what the will is. The will might be, Jennifer, to move from Louisiana to Texas. It is loving. The will might be, Ryan, that you have to take a different occupation. That is loving. When our God makes his will for your life known, it is an expression Amen. of love. Amen. Amen. Who's following Jesus in here? Amen. Where is Jesus headed? So you need to know that if we are going to follow Him, He's going to show you how you personally walk to the cross. Amen. You don't understand all my family was there. I understand you need to be crucified. You don't understand I made more money at that job. I understand you need to be crucified. You don't know what this has cost me. No, I know what it cost Him and yours doesn't compare. Amen. Come on, church. We talk about the cross all day long. Some of us wear it as jewelry around our necks. The cross in you have an interaction when something has to die in you that the kingdom might live. If you're not experiencing that, I think you should check your temperature. I want to tell you that the Christian life is full of trials and difficulties. Paul made a missionary journey, made a pass with Barnabas through several cities. When he went back through them in Acts 14... He said it is through many trials and tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. He didn't say it's through blessing upon blessing and name it and claim it upon name it and claim it. It's through apathy and relaxation that you enter the kingdom. 
Why do you love the men in the Word that you love? Because they endured much for the gospel. And so it proved the genuineness of their faith. And you said, that's a man that I want to be like. So we'll quote Lincoln Brewster now. Lincoln Brewster says regularly, people come up to him and say, oh, I want to do what you're doing. He says, yeah, but you don't want to do what I had to do to get here. See, we want the crown, but we don't want the cross that it takes to earn it. I'd like to submit to you that part of prosperity, part of obedience, part of submission, part of all of those things has to do with the decreasing of you and the increasing of him. And that if you have believed any other thing, then you have believed a lie. And the thing about being deceived is the deceived don't know they're deceived. This is why third parties are raised up. Prophets with long pointy fingers that call God's people back to a narrow way that is easy to wander off of. Did any old watering hole? God's people were always digging their own cisterns of comfort. They were always seeking their own wells of salvation so that when God displayed His love to the entire world, but first and foremost to Israel by showing His will for each one of them, they didn't recognize it because it would be hard. It more Roman occupation. It meant continued difficulties. And all they wanted to do was be saved from their troubles. Can you not relate to that at all? Oh, yes. How many people do you know that is praying for God's will, but they have declared what God's will is ahead of time? And they're praying fervently in the name of Jesus for God's will, but they have not considered anything except their own will as God's will. Now, friends, I want to tell you the heartbreaking moments in the kingdom are not when your will aligns with God's. Those are glorious. It's when you want something different than He wants. And you get to decide whether He's your genie that grants your three magic wishes or He's your God. Why was Jesus good? He was good because He was God. Amen. Teacher, He declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at Him and loved Him. Amen. One thing you lack, He said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow Me. When could He follow Jesus? After He sold it. He had to be obedient first. He didn't say, you can walk with me 30 years and decide whether or not you want to do it. You know, I'll be your Savior while you decide if I'm your Lord. He didn't say any of those ridiculous concepts that are taught under different names in the church today. He said, you do what I have told you to do. Then you can follow me. Wow, what if when you came to the altar to be saved, the man of God looked at you and said, first... Go do this, this, and this, and then come back. You would think he was harsh. He would be just like Jesus. There's a man named Paul Washer that really shook me up a little bit as I listened to him preach. First off, he was Baptist. That really bothered me. <laughs> Secondly, he was ever been as serious about Jesus. I didn't know those two things coexisted. I want to tell you I'm wrong. Proud to be Baptist, but he loves Jesus. Preaching to pastors, a conference of several thousand. He said, God gave you the right to declare salvation. Tell all its glories, all its wonders, teach about it. 
He never gave you the right to declare someone saved. That's his job. Amen. That's his job. Amen. Repeat after me. Say the magic bean. I'm sorry. Say the magic phrase. When you say the magic phrase, you're done. No, you're done when you have done what he told you to. Amen. Amen. You will know you are saved when you have the satisfaction of saying, that hurt. It was difficult. But I can do it with joy because he's worth it. Amen. That's what prosperity is, friends. Amen. It is having completed the will of God in your life. Look at verse 22. At this the man's face... What's it say? Fell. fell. What an amazing thing. If his face fell, where had it been before? It looks like he was happy when he ran up to Jesus. He had good things to say to Jesus. He had the right thing to ask Jesus. But when Jesus asked something of him... His face fell. What an amazing thing. You can tell how Christians are doing based on the status of their face. If we cannot do for God what He has told us to do with joy, we have lordship issues. So what, Pastor, you don't understand that's a struggle. No, I assure you, well, I understand. It's a struggle that He has empowered you to win. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The word says, "Be joyful always. Pray continually." For this is God's will for you in Christ Amen. Jesus. Amen. Not God's will for somebody sitting next to you. Not God's will for somebody in some other church. Not God's will for somebody in some other situation. Anybody in here ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? These men smiled, blessed, and prayed for the crowds while the flesh was falling off of their bones because. It's what they expected when they got saved. If you and I go on a cruise and you think that the cruise is going to Alaska and I think that the cruise is going to Cosmel, one of us is going to be dramatically disappointed. <laughs> Why did you get on board? One of the ways that Brother Yoon said it is he sees a whole nation and he was talking about us. He was in a race, but they did not start at the starting line. What an amazing thing. I would encourage you to examine that starting line. His face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Not as much as he thought he had, huh? No. Yeah. Not as much as he thought he had. Uh, he could follow. He could agree to follow creed. But he could not follow our Savior's lead. This, in my estimation, is where most people who say they are Christians are. I follow the Christian creed. In other words, I believe it. I say I follow it. But I will not follow my Savior's lead. So this leads me to ask people questions like, when did you fall head over heels in love with Jesus? And you can tell by their response whether they did or not. It leads me to ask questions of people. When the chaplains come in my father's hospital room, the first thing I says, hey man, what's your favorite scripture? I can tell immediately whether or not they really love the word. Not because they can recall it or can't recall it, but whether they're offended by the question or not. How amazing that a tall, handsome gentleman in a slick suit with a beautiful Bible under his arm, offended by the question. A man that looked like he just got off his job as a plumber who called himself a late pastor began to shed a tear and quote some of my favorite verses and then wanted to pray. 
didn't sound like a politician, sounded like a man who was on the same road with Jesus to the same cross so that he could experience the same resurrection. Amen. You can never judge a book by its cover, friends. Even Paul learned that. Turn with me to Luke 22. I don't know. Y'all might want somebody else to preach when I'm done here. Preach on, bro. Come on. Now look, if you think that the men who stand behind this pulpit stand here and preach from their perfection, you need to understand that I have always, I mean at least for 15 years or so, preached about whatever I was struggling with the most. So let me ask you if for the next, I don't know, let's, let's leave it as an indefinite period of time. That would be a little more realistic. You're going to be woken up every 45 minutes. Okay, Every 45 minutes. It will never stop. That is what it is. And during the times that you are awake, it will be full of tasks you would rather not be doing. How long will it take before you begin to see things surface in you that you know need to be crucified if you're going to continue with Jesus? See, we spent our whole life avoiding these situations, and we were called to them. We should be attracted to them. I had more brothers call me and ask if they could pinch it. You will not take my spot. This is my chance. I don't want you to stand at the plate and hit the pitch that was designed for me. I don't want an easy way out. I hope you don't. There are very few things that we ever get a chance to be tested with in the West. Usually it has to do with the sale of your home or the loss of your job. And the reason that that's the case is that these are the things that we have to revive. At least to us. Friends, we need to learn what it is to be in the crucible of decision. Are y'all in Luke 22? Yes. yes. Here's 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing... Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Why did he need to be strengthened? He was at the moment of weakness. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The very first thing that Jesus prayed was, Take this away from me. That is maybe the most human of all reactions we have ever seen from the Lord. Is there some other way? This hurts. And if you give me a choice, I choose to do something else. But at the end of the day, the only choice I have is to be obedient to you. So your will be done. Friends, this is where crucifixion occurs. I don't know whether you'll grasp this. I think you will because you're all brighter than I am. I would say that Jesus was crucified in His will a long time before He was ever crucified in His body. This is how we can say in the first year of His ministry, unless you take up your cross and follow Me, when He had not even been to the cross. I'm trying to teach our single people these things along this line. Your conviction must be based on an absolute. Does that sound familiar, single people? Because if it is based on something other than an absolute, it will fluctuate in the moment you need it most. Jesus was absolutely 
determined in his conviction. God's will came before his. How determined are you when the rubber meets the road? When Esau's bowl of stew is sitting in front of you? How determined are you when it might cost you some skin? See, this is what Christianity is. Christianity is the gut-wrenching cry of a human being that says, I wish there was some other way. But what I want most of all is your will. Why did he sweat as if it were drops of blood? Movies have made this a ridiculous thing. He's in a place where you squeezed olives until the last ounce of olive oil came out. And this man was being squeezed. Oppressive pressure that the Bible calls anguish was upon him. He was caught in the crucible of a human being's will and God's will. And this was his finest hour. Because when he got up from here, he didn't look back. People have a hard time understanding the temptation of Jesus because they don't think Jesus can be tempted. And yet he was. And a temptation is not a temptation if it is solved before you ever reach it. The best you can do is decide ahead of time. When tempted in these areas, this will be my response. And what does this axiom mean, if not this? Perform out there what you practiced in here. It means that this is the place to determine your absolute convictions. This is the place to practice, 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 and have repped it so many times that when faced with it, it's no longer a second nature. It is his nature living in you. This is what church is supposed to be. And what we've reduced it to is a meet and greet, a nice lecture series, and a networking opportunity for those of you in business or sales. <laughs> Friends, this was hard for Jesus. But then, Christians are never supposed to back away from what is hard. Never. One of the things that I am fortunate to have had are examples of men who worked hard in my life. That didn't stop when they got sore. That their attitude, if you had a shard of wood sticking out of your forehead, was take some time and be a man. <laughs> because this kind of manly-pamby Christianity that says if it's difficult, let somebody else do it, will not pass muster. You need to seek out the narrow way. And if you can't do it, filled with the Spirit of God, who could? Really? The labor for the Presbyterians? Who? What do you learn for? What do you worship for? What do we sing songs like, Lord, fill me up for? This would be like a race car running high octane fuel all of the time, but never gets out of first gear. At some point, we have to say, what for? I think sometimes you have to move out something. The old, the fleshly, your love. Amen. That you might receive the kingdom life. Amen. 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 Always require death to the giver and life to the recipient. Amen. Just before Jesus was in this garden, so in my Bible, it's a paragraph over. Look at Luke 22, verse 24. 
I could probably stop here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> it cost me something to be here today, but I judged you and I judged the kingdom. Worth it. But the joy set before us, we endure whatever we endure. That's, that's why. I assure you these musicians do not want to spend their Thursday nights away from their family practice. But it's worth it. My family does not always appreciate the phone calls that I get and the times that I sneak off and go meet with people in the church or when they want to watch a movie and I go bury myself in the word. They don't always appreciate that. It's not because they're bad people. It's because they're people. These are the opportunities for us to say, your will be done. And it's not always God's will for you to punish yourself in some way. Please don't. I'm going to say don't ask this Christian. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, and I certainly don't want to be hurt. Telling you that the way of the cross is narrow and difficult, and you should expect nothing less. You were born for this purpose. Yeah. Are you in Luke 22? Yeah. yeah. Luke 24. Also a dispute. By the way, this is you know the passage before the Garden of Gethsemane. Also a dispute arose among them to which of them was to be considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. you got to love that. Right? You're a slave of somebody. They tell you when to eat, when to sleep. They tell you what you must do, and then they call themselves a benefactor. Religion does this all the time. It's when we spell our names with big eyes that make you spell yours with little use. It's when we are the wise and learned and you're the dumb masses. It's when there's a separation between clergy and laity and nobody's experiencing freedom. Everybody's in slavery. But the pastors or the priests or whatever you call those people are the benefactors. It's been going on forever since. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, i.e. the most humble. And the one who rules like the one who serves. What we have here is we have in Jesus' own words many times laid down an ultimatum. It's an axiom. If you want to be great in His eyes, you must follow His path. And His path was one that was continuously stripping away His comfort, His life, His desires, ambitions, and leaving Him with only the life, comfort, and ambitions that God had ordained for him. Friends, I believe especially in this room today, there are people that God is trying to set apart. He's trying to reserve for himself. He's trying to separate us from the world so that we can receive a kingdom that is like a treasure that Amen. a man found in a field. But the reason that many are unable to see it, feel it, experience it, is because we are clinging to the life we already have and calling it good. The only good thing that there is is God's will for your life. Amen. This means that if you're called to martyrdom, then it's a good thing. You should not choose a life as a doctor over a life as a martyr if that is God's will for you. But how many people pray for their children to be able to give their lives for Jesus? None. But you've got no problem praying for your children to be doctors and lawyers. This tells us where our hearts are. This is a gut check, church. You're called to better. 
You're called to good things. You're called to rise to the floodwaters that assault your faith. These are memorial stone moments where you get a chance to develop a conviction that is absolute. It will never move. Here's one single ladies. I will not date a man that God did not bring to me. No weird, ridiculous stories about how it could have been God or might have been God or God used some weird, strange route. You know that God has presented you with something. So maybe we could just have a conviction that says, I will not prostitute myself out like the world does. Wouldn't that be a good one? You think it protects some people? Oh, yeah. yeah. How about young man? I will not become attached to anyone that God has not pulled out of my side so that we share the second calling in our lives we're destined to accomplish for His kingdom something. Amen. Maybe the first thing we notice could be good deeds and not certain curvatures. Maybe our goal could not be a certain kind of 401k but simply to complete the task God had given. I'd like to submit to you that death is not a tragedy, it's a blessing if you've completed your work. It is an awful tragedy if your work has just been left to others. I think I won't have to read these. When thinking about this serving to rule, in Genesis 6, there was a little event called the flood. Right? I mean, you may have heard about it. It's coming to theaters near us. <laughs> The whole world spoke one language. You know how we know that? Because Adam and Eve were not bilingual. It was just those two. And everybody came from there. And the whole world was full of violence and wickedness and it grieved God. So what happened? He flooded it, right? Then yeah. Ham, Shem, and Japheth get off of the ark. All of mankind represented in three men. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And we had a sin. We had a dishonoring of a father. We had a prophecy that the God of Shem, he was God. And that Japheth should come into that tent of Shem. Shem means the name in Hebrew. And that Canaan, uh, our Ham's descendant, should be God. And that those three boys represent every person in this room today. And it's a prophecy to all mankind and that you have all three parts in you as well. Blessed be the God of the name who resides in my spirit. May my soul, my mind, will, and emotions come and dwell with my spirit. And may my body be their slave. This is all three parts of mankind. The next time all of mankind got together was at the Tower of Babel. All speaking one language because God had not confused it yet. At the flood when man is united, they're united in wickedness. At the Tower of Babel when they're united, what are they united in? Rebellion to God's commands. The next time in history we see Ham, Shem, and Japheth appear is in John 19, 19. Pilate had a sign put above Jesus' head. It was in the language of the Hebrews, Shem. It was in the language of the Romans, uh, Ham. And it was in the language of the Greeks, Japheth. All three languages are mentioned. And it said, Jesus Christ said the king of the Jews. Amen. This is what it said. All of mankind recognized through that statement the three branches of humanity. This is the Messiah. And what did they do with him? 
Every time, friends, we reject God's will for our own, there's a choice. We crucify Him or our will gets crucified. We make that choice every time because it was His crucifixion that allowed you this choice. And when we say no to His will, He can't be crucified again, but you're giving His will. You're giving approval to what was done to Him. Does that make sense to you? Philip Yancey said, The master of the universe would become its victim, having been robbed of his power with a squad of soldiers in the garden. God made himself weak for one purpose, to let human beings choose freely for themselves what they would do with him. Complete rejection, scorn, humiliation. The God of creation subjected himself to the creation. Don't we owe it to him as his creation to be subject to him now? What is prosperity? It's when his kingdom is prospering inside of you. Here are three truths about persecution in a martyrdom. I started preaching it about 15 after. I may or may not finish in an hour, but you deserve to have these. Three things that living with a martyrdom expectation, the idea that you should be willing to die at any moment, do for you. Number one, here's a scripture for you. It's Acts 2, 17 through 20. This is a quote from Joel as well. And it speaks about sons and daughters prophesying. It speaks about uh, signs in the heavens. It speaks about old men seeing visions. It speaks about the miraculous. Have you ever been asked the question, why do miracles always happen somewhere else? Miracles happen where there is persecution from a martyrdom expectation. Miracles happen when people's lives are on the line for the kingdom. The truth is that living with a martyrdom expectation, living expecting to be in persecution, is the breeding ground for miracles. Because it puts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. It puts Moses against the Red Sea. It puts people totally dependent upon God rather than something else. You show me a great deliverance in the Bible. How about Peter being delivered from jail? Angelic visitation. Where was he? Jail. The earth shaking. Uh, Doors coming undone in Acts 16. We find the miraculous happening around those who are giving their lives for the kingdom. So why don't we see more miracles? Nobody is risking anything for the kingdom. What would you need a miracle for? So that you... You know, could eat your fourth meal for the day? What do we need a miracle for? I've been praying with the nurses in my father's room. That's really neat. I look, we've had Gabriel and Michael escort us. Uh, these are nurses. Uh, we had Matthew and Mark give us anesthesia. Uh, uh, our first uh, nurse from Nigeria was Peace. Uh, how about that? I mean, they, these are neat things. So I've been praying with them. You know what they're always shocked to see? They're shocked to see, Lord. You'd be glorified either way. We want your will done. I know you can heal them. I'm excited for you to heal them. But if you'd like to glorify your name in some other way, we're fine with that too. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. They're looking to me like they had never seen anybody pray like that. Never. Does that seem strange to y'all? 
Maybe it seems cruel. I don't know how it seems to you, but to me it was a foregone conclusion when at 56 years old I baptized my father. He was 56 now. <laughs> Here's the second truth of persecution and martyrdom expectation. This comes from Daniel 7. Turn there. If I could quote it for you, I would. I'm not capable of it. Tell me when Amen. In Daniel 7, let me start in the 21st verse. This is worth reading. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints most high. What was happening just prior to the judgment? The horn was defeating the saints. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It will be different from all of the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. And after them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress His saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to Him for a time's time and a half time. But the court will sit and His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High God. When? When you are oppressed. When you are handed over. When you are beat up. If you've ever read Revelation 13, it says... Conquered. What a nice word. It is a mystery in Christianity and it is the mystery of the cross that at the moment you look the most devoid of strength, the most humiliated, the most beat down, this is God's opportunity to do the miraculous and He actually gets credit for it. Amen. God chooses to wait to deliver the creation until his people are beat into a place where it is clear it did not come from them. He waited to resurrect his son until his son had died in a horrible public gruesome way. He waited until Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the flames. He waited until Israel was surrounded on all sides. Red Sea, Pharaoh, these are the moments where you have reached the end of what you have to offer. And prosperity begins to reign in you. Amen. Because something divine is on the rise. Amen. Hallelujah. But how hard do we find to avoid this situation? In fact, Daniel heard this. I didn't finish reading it, but it says he grew pale and sick. You know why he was pale and sick? Ever watch Passion of the Christ? If you had some other reaction, I wouldn't know what to think about you. Because it makes you sick, and yet it is also glorious all in the same day. The day of the Lord is dreadful and glorious. Dreadful because of what the saints will endure for their King, and glorious because He never lets them down. Amen. This gospel's been twisted into something that says you never endure hardship. 
nothing could be this. You talk about data denial. The entire world is based on people being overwhelmed with trouble. And when they looked crushed beyond hope, he came through. The second truth of persecution and martyrdom expectation is that it's when you're defeated, conquered, and oppressed that the kingdom shows up in your life. Amen. The kingdom shows up when you are not king, when you're thrown, beat down, and humiliated. This led great men of God even before Jesus' day, men like Hillel, to say, my exaltation is my humiliation. And my humiliation has become my exaltation. They recognized they could feel the divine presence in their lives when there was nothing left but Him. The third one comes from Revelation 7. That's an easy book to find. Turn there with me. In Revelation 7, start with me in the ninth verse. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation Amen. belongs to our Amen. God, who sits Amen. on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 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 Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Last week, a woman in this church became engaged to be married. Her job was then to go and make a wedding dress. Do you remember this from last week? Yeah. Your wedding dress is made every time you deny yourself and do His will. They stood before Him with white robes because they endured the test and made it. They are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over me. This was when the Jewish groom wrapped his prayer shawl around the bride and took her to be with Him forever. The King of the universe is coming for a church. And He is coming for a church that has made herself beautiful by enduring much for His name. And He will take her and wrap her in His arms. Amen. Amen. This is prosperity. Amen. This is real submission. This is obedience. None of these things are tested unless it requires the death of you. It's not a test in obedience, submission, any of those things if I tell you to do something you already wanted to do. We're going to close this message, but I would like to offer you something from the temptation of Jesus. What was the first temptation? He needed to turn stones into what? Bread. Bread. 
Because none of us have ever been tempted to feed our natural hunger, our lust for power, success, image. None of us have ever been tempted to use our own arm to make sure that our reputation is intact, to make sure that we don't look like we're without, to make sure, in short, that we are never weak. We've never been tempted in this way. When this says it was a temptation, it's because it was a temptation. We go 40 minutes without food, we feel tempted to eat. He had gone 40 days. And after 40 days, a second kind of hunger had hit him. And this, at his weakest physical moment, showed that he hungered for the Word of God more than he hungered for her. What are you hungering for, church? How about the second temptation? Second temptation. Throw yourself down from where? From the highest place of the temple. You've never been tempted to just show people how talented you are. Show them who you really are, what you can do. I mean, if they knew who they were talking to, they would not talk to me that way. I'll show them. We never have those. Jesus thought it better not tempt God by acting in His own flesh, His own own. When we feel this kind of thing rise up inside of us that says, I'll show them. We do need to throw ourselves down. Not from the temple, but from the heights of idolatry that we're rising to. How about that third temptation? What did Jesus get offered? All the kingdoms of the world. This is the most difficult for you in the room. It's the most difficult for me. You're called to something that's amazing. Right? Just say that you are called to be a preacher. To be a prophet of righteousness. The thing that the devil does is he perceives the direction your life is moving. He says, you, do something else. Would you like it right now? Jesus was being tempted by his very calling that was given him from God. You want all the kingdoms of the world? That was where Jesus was headed. But there was something between him and those kingdoms. It was a cross. The way that he would receive them would not be through some satanic endowment. It'd be through the complete surrendering of his will. Do you think your calling comes any other way? But this is always the choice. Do you want the crown or do you want the cross? And the deception is that you can have a crown without a cross. Jesus, Hebrews 12 says, endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set. Amen. Amen. It's enough for a man to die. By the way, if you've lived a fairly sheltered life, you may never have seen this, but I have seen people want to die. It's not a Maybe one of the most remarkable verses in all the Bible is that Jesus breathed his last and gave up his spirit. Would any of you like to try that right now? It's not yours to give up. Your life always holds. Always. The 
murder, no expectation. It's not some glorious, brave, hurt, and he's with macho thing. It's weakness. It's difficult. It's tearful. It's hurting. It says, nevertheless, your will be done. Whatever it costs me, you've given me everything. I don't possess anything of worth besides you. Where would I go? You have the very words of life. I'm asking you, church, not to fool yourselves. You will never stand in some day of great persecution if you cannot die to your will daily now. If you cannot say no to the flood of dissipation around you now, you certainly will not do it then. There is no great John Wayne Christianity where you make your last stand go out in a blaze of glory. In fact, these days, the kind of persecution that would be martyrdom for you is they would cut your head off at some point you around their village, hanging from a bridge, put you on Al Jazeera. Those are the kind of ways Christians are being killed. And we hear the stories from Fox's book of martyrs that have been refined for a thousand years. What you don't often hear is that their courage doesn't always stand up. They have moments where they're breaking. Sometimes they even beg for their lives. That's what you're called to do. The Lord will provide what you need. So I'm not telling you to look for something that is like a Clint Eastwood movie. I'm telling you to practice going out of business right now so that you can live every day. I want to close with a scripture for you. Actually, it's not a scripture. That would be wrong to say because this came from an apocryphal gospel. But it's generally accepted among church historians as historically accurate. Peter's brother was crucified by Aegeus, a Roman governor in the city of Sebastopolis. Andrew had brought so many to faith in Christ that the governor came to the province to compel the new Christians to sacrifice to idols and renounce their faith. Andrew challenged Aegeus to his face and told him to renounce his false gods and idols declared that the gods and idols of the Romans were not gods but devils masquerading as angels and the enemies of mankind. In a rage, the proconsul ordered Andrew not to teach and preach and warned him that if he did he would be fastened to a cross. Andrew replied, I would not have gone about preaching the honor and glory of the cross. I feared death upon him. He was immediately condemned. As Andrew was taken to the place of his execution, he saw the cross in the distance, and bystanders reported that he cried out, O cross, most welcomed and looked for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously, I come to thee, having been the scholar of him who hung on thee, because I have always been thy lover and coveted to embrace thee. You would have to be insane or have met Jesus to have such a feeling. But this used to be how Christians were saved. If you look through the book of Acts, every time there was persecution, church grew. And 
grew because it was not a self-help lesson message. It was based on the genuine faith. It was proved in extraordinary circumstances. Pray your faith rise to meet the circumstances and that you don't run from it. Friends, if we do only what we like and refuse everything we dislike, we cannot call ourselves a meeting. I ask you to stand to your feet with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Mighty God, Lord, I ask that Your hand would be upon this group. Lord, that no one in here would have a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But that in brokenness, with humility, we would confess our sins aloud. That we would turn from them. That we would get free from any entanglement. Lord, that we would live a life that is making restitution by putting Your Word and Your way first every day. Lord, You called it an abundant life into the world that looks like death. But You told us that if we want to live, we must lose our lives. And we want to live. We breathed into man and made him a living being. Breathe into us now that we might truly live for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Saints, it's tough to know how to respond to a message like this. We're not going to spend an hour at the altar. The way that you respond to a message like this, if you sincerely desire to please God, is not now. It is when you leave this building and the first test of your will and repentance. What we're trying to do is strip away the deception that says you can live like hell all the way to heaven. I'm telling you, it will not happen. What we're trying to do is encourage you to join with our brothers in nearly every other country of the world. Put some skin in this game by being willing to die for Jesus. Some of us will, some of us won't, but every one of us need to practice it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love y'all. I won't be here Monday. I will try to be here Wednesday. I might come for the service and then leave, but Wednesday, Cassidy is preaching. I don't want to miss that. She's a lot more encouraging than I am. I covet your prayer from my family. Uh, I encourage you to pray that the Lord's will be done. I don't have a problem grabbing somebody, pulling them out of a hospital bed or off of a mortuary table. None of those things at this point really offend my conscience or bother me. What I do have a problem doing, like every one of you, sometimes discerning what the Lord wants to do. Yeah. And I ask that you pray that that becomes clear to us. 
because we're all a little fuzzy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we're dismissed.